Well, hello everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Voices from the Northeast podcast. Welcome to the podcast, people. Morning, podcasters. You know, I was born in North Dean Colliery. I should have remembered that because my mother used to work for them. I'm champion for absolutely fine. She went flying over Maypole into Bustelic. If, like me, you live in southeast Northumberland and on the coast, then count yourself one of the luckiest people alive because you live in one of the most beautiful parts of this country. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that. The roads up the coast take you on an absolutely gorgeous adventure anytime you go up them, whether it is bright sunshine or dark and stormy. On the dark and stormy days, you get to look at those white waves crashing against the coast, and on the sunshiny days, you get to look at the golden sand beaches. And if you turn your eye away from the coast a little bit, you get to see the castles, the ruins, and all the rolling hills. Now tonight on the podcast, we're going to talk about one of those ruins. And it's a ruin that I have passed so many times and wondered what the heck it was, and whether or not I'd ever get to find out what its story was. Well, on the podcast, in this episode, I am very lucky to talk to Steve Law at the Cresswell Peel Tower Project, and find out all about the tower behind the wall in Cresswell. This is a great interview that I recorded a few weeks ago um, with a, a wonderfully knowledgeable man who is part of a really exciting project. I will tell you how to get in touch with the project and how to find out more about it at the very end of the show, so stay listening after the interview for that. But without further ado, here's my interview with Steve at the Cresswell Peel Tower Project. My name's Steve Lou. I've, I've been working on Drawridge Bay since I did my undergraduate uh, work at university, and um, I'm, but I'm actually a trained ecologist. Okay. So I used to work for Northumberland Wildlife Trust, um, and I had a particular interest in the reserves up and down the bay. Right. So I, I know the area really, yeah. really well, um, and. Um, it's a bit of a convoluted story, but we, we actually, at the Wildlife Trust, ran an archaeological dig at Hawksley, oh, which okay. was called Rescued from the Sea. And that dig actually revealed a really important uh, Bronze Age uh, burial settlement um, and, and settlement and stuff like that. We found quite a lot of information from that. So I, I was actually managing the project, though, not doing the archaeology. Yeah. But I, I inevitably got involved in the archaeological side <laughs> and, and, and couldn't get away from it. Uh, I loved it. Um, and then consequently, um, I've done little, little bits of archaeology here and there. But then we had two big public um, archaeological digs on this site mm-hmm. at Cresswell, one of which was to look for the remains of the uh, 18th century manor house, and the second of which was to actually look around the Peel Tower itself, which is an obvious structure. It's, yeah. You know, it's been there for uh, since the thirteen hundreds, and um, you know that. But we wanted to know a little bit more about it. Um, so the the thing was then I got involved with with that particular side of things, um, and I ended up working as an archaeologist after that. So oh, right. uh, you know, sort of made a career of it. Um, 
for for a few years, and then um, I, I got I got back in up up to the northeast, and um, I was chatting with Barry. I was looking at ways we could we could help out, and I ended up as a volunteer coordinator for the project. Um, I work here a couple of days a week um, at Crestwell Peel Tower, which also now includes working on the Victorian Walled Garden that we've we've yeah, acqu- see, yeah. acquired as well. Um, and working with volunteers and in particular working with members of the public who come to visit and I have to say that's just absolutely fantastic it's been you know they call it work uh, <laughs> but but um, and it is tiring actually to be honest with you both seem to just talk all day long you know but it's great that you be able to impart some of your interest and enthusiasm on other people well it's like they say if you enjoy something it's not a job you know? yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely and you know We've only been open. We opened the first um, weekend was twenty fifth of July. Yep. That was a Sunday. Um, we we'd been trying to open for ages, but COVID got in the way. Yes, um, yeah, sadly, it's got in the way of quite a few things. It got in the way of nearly everything. So we, in the end, we we just went for it and opened it to the public. We didn't have a a formal opening. We just threw the doors open, and uh, that first day we had four hundred and fifty people wow. in one day, in one which day. was amazing. And then every weekend since, we're averaging a couple of hundred people. So we, we've had three and a half thousand visits already this year in just, what, a handful of days, yeah. which is outstanding. Um, and um, I have to say, it's been magnificent. We've, we've had so many really complimentary remarks about the work that's been done. Loads of questions mm-hmm. about, you know, how we, we got to this site. Uh, to to the stage, I should say, how um, much more we need to know about the area yeah. as well. That's the other thing. There's lots of questions that people ask us that, that, that you know we still have um, you know to answer. And uh, w- but for me, one of the the key things here is is our volunteer side. It's that, it's that um, interaction side with people because I, in fact, I was just talking to a gentleman. He's he was saying he forty years he'd been living in this area and. Um, well, it's actually similar to what you said yeah. today, actually, um, and and he'd never ever been in here, and he'd always wanted to, and yeah. and he thought you couldn't, and now you can. Yeah, um, that's what's great. I mean, for me to come in today, it's brilliant because I'm thinking I have passed this so many times, and it's always been at the end of that field and yeah. at the end of the road, assumed in private hands and being left to rack and ruin, and it would just oh yeah. well, I wonder what the story is behind it. Yeah, well. That's actually quite a good description because it, it is a scheduled ancient monument, which mm. means it's of national importance. Yeah. Um, it's It was on the, the uh, National UK Buildings at Risk Register, which meant it was, you know, I'll use the word decrepit. Um, <laughs> the roof had gone and it was used as a, a place where, you know, people would play, maybe it's a bit of antisocial behaviour. Yeah. Um, so it was consequently falling into bits and you've got to take your hat off to the, the guys locally who decided to come and clear it up and basically the first thing they did was they, they got onto the first floor and removed all the trees out of, out of the building because wow. it was it was in that bad estate um, with no roof on water was coming all the way through and so was that just a community group that got together just to a do small that, community it? group yeah wow, I, I would I would say I think there was only um, maybe less than a dozen people but their combined age was almost the same age as the building probably <laughs> um, you know and they just wanted to do it what are some of the things then when you said you've still got questions to answer about the site yeah people have asked a lot what are some of those questions that come up a lot well the f- first thing is you know who built it 
Um, and we, we're pretty sure we know who Bill is, mm-hmm. but we can't say for sure. And I, I caveat everything we say when we're talking to people about the fact this is as much as we know. Because, yeah. you know, when you go back, you know, you don't have as many historical archives to go yeah. through. Uh, some of those were written with a bit of bias on them as yeah. well, you know. But what we do know, for instance, is that this was, uh, we think anyway, was built in 1380 mm-hmm. um, by the Cresswell family. And the Cresswell, what we don't know is how long the Cresswell family had been here. So why was it built? We think was because the um, the builder, John Cresswell, actually was captured by the Scots and ransomed for 40 okay. quid, which sounds like nothing. You can't buy a computer game for that now. But actually, he built a peel tower for, yeah. for, for, for the similar amount of money to stop him, presumably to stop him or any of his family from being kidnapped by the Scots. Um, now, I say the Scots... Um, with a caveat on because it was a time um, where um, a group called the Border Reavers. Yeah, I saw um, the little uh, information point outside about the Border Reavers. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a fascinating kind of whole history. It's there. like the Wild West, yeah. but, but going back a few centuries. And people used to regularly rob each other. Um, you know, there would be um, fighting, and there'd be occasional loss of life, there'd be kidnapping, rustling etc and um, it all sounds really um, illegal and it, and it was technically but it wasn't enforced yeah, so, so it, um, there wasn't it, a lot done to stop them no there, there because there, it was quite good that border families were feuding with each other um, because it meant that what either side of the border there wouldn't be armies raised to try and conquer the countries so it was almost state sponsored in, in many respects and, and you know there is quite a lot of evidence about that um, and in this part of the world, we we still have a lot of the Reaver family names. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, it, the ones that we we've highlighted, for instance, is the Armstrongs. We've got Neil Armstrong, who's, yeah. who's related to the Armstrongs. We we've got the Robsons, um, the Charltons, yep. the uh, Riggs, and um, you know they're all. Oh, sorry, and all the Mil- yeah, yeah. Milburns as well. Now, they're, interestingly, yeah. locally, they're all famous football families. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, interestingly, that you know, an interesting Milburn, and um, when you look at the history of just Ashington down the road and yes. the coal companies formed, yeah, um, this Milburn and then Milburn Estates into Newcastle. That's right. I'm, it's it is fascinating looking into the lineage of some of those handful uh, of families. And at the time, there would have been a lot of intermarrying as well. So, um, you know that if you like, the sort of feud, uh, family identity was really quite strong. And occasionally people would join together and, mm-hmm. they'd, and they'd go and rob someone else. Or, <laughs> or, or um, But occasionally, um, sorry, once a year, they would have something called the Day of Truce, where they would exchange prisoners and they would pay recompense for things that they'd done <laughs> uh, wrong, you know. And, um, and then start up again the next year. And they start again the next year. Um, now, that only really stopped when we got... Um, a united throne, as it were. The J- James I came to uh, to the throne, yeah. and um, you know, so from that point onwards, um, this became um, well, it became less acceptable, really. But in the meantime, a number of families have actually made quite a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the most important thing from our point of view is we have a peel tower here, which is actually pretty. Is is this part of the world? We've got lots of peel towers right across the the border uh, between Cumbria, Northumbria. Mm-hmm. And and then the the Scottish borders, and these peel towers actually are you know effectively largely fortified houses, but in this particular case it's more like a 
it is definitely a defensive building. Um, you know, it has um, access to it is on a different floor. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there are arrow slits, things like that. It's quite a tall building, although you know, there are others that are taller. But um, this, um, believe it or not, was one of the ones that was in um, its best condition for its style, if right. you like. Um, and that isn't effectively a residence or something like that already. So, but like you say, its its design was very different. Then, yeah. So it wasn't, its first thought in design wasn't as a residency. It's not it as was, a residency. In yeah. fact, we've got, this is one of the other questions, hmm. who lived here. We have no proof anyone ever lived in the tower. Right. What we think was the case was that they would have lived, if you like, in the grounds of the tower outside, mm-hmm. you know, more or less where we are. Um but um, the tower itself would have acted as a as a um, a beacon, right? So there'd be somebody on the on the top, keeping their eye open, and you know the main message. Um, you know we didn't have mobile phones in the fourteenth <laughs> century, so the main way of communicating a problem was to fire a beacon. Yeah, and um, you know you can imagine a beacon going off in Amble, which is what seven miles away. Yeah. Um, that would alert you to the fact something's happening. Um, if it was going off in in Ashington, similarly, yeah. and and that would effectively say to most people, come in, you know. So you bring your stuff, your mm-hmm. go- your goods, your fam- uh, your cattle, your family, and everything right. into uh, the tower or the grounds of the tower because it would have had a wall around yeah. it, a barmkin we call it, and then you could defend it from there. The last thing you want is to lose your life. So having a big, thick, solid structure means that you can actually defend yourself. The, the second thing you don't want to lose is your livelihood. So if you can look after your stock and your cattle and everything like mm-hmm. that, then mm-hmm. fair enough. So that, that's that's one of the, the questions. The second one, though, is... Um, forgive me if I rub it on here, no, by no, the way. But the Cresswell family then later um, made a manor house here and they built the manor house so that it incorporated the tower. So mm-hmm. if you look at the tower from the direction that we're facing, you can see where the roof was. Although, okay. of course... We tell everybody that's where the giant sword was, you know, when he was releasing the princess from the tower and everything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the manor house itself, um, we didn't know much about that, although the door is obvious because it's in the wall of the, right. that surrounds yeah. the the, uh, the site here. So we've done an excavation and we do know now that it, that it was actually quite extensive and it, it came behind the tower and then wrapped around one side of it as well. Um, and there were large kitchen complex uh, at one one part, lots and lots of glass that we found. So um, it suggested to us, and again we can't be sure um, because there were new doors put in and mm. windows and access points put into the building itself. That it at first first and foremost that it was probably used as a cellar, um, right. a storage area for water, food, mm-hmm. etc. Um, because it would have acted like an ice house. Yeah. But in addition, it would have. Um, we think it probably made a very really good wine cellar. <laughs> you know, so um, and that's yeah. you know, I mean, no, no joke. We did find an awful lot of bottles. Right. So um, yeah, they're broken bottles. Um, you know, it, it um, obviously been imported in many mm-hmm. cases, but there some that could be local. You just don't mm-hmm. know. There was a big bottle works at uh, Seaton Sluice, for instance. Yeah. So it's possible they were local, but mm-hmm. um, we don't know. Um, and then the Cresswells, um, the the uh, the, the um, I think, oh gosh, I've forgotten his name, George Cresswell married into money mm-hmm. he married a lady called mary baker and mary um, mary baker was a millionaire at the time 
so you know well healed shall we say and they built a new um, home um, stayed in this one for a while then built a new hall um, Cresswell Hall which is um, you know maybe it's a couple of kilometres away from us mm-hmm. and um, um, moved into that on the proviso that they became the Baker Cresswells so their family name changed to Baker Cresswell. In fact, the family is still in Northumberland, mm-hmm. and um, you know I know I know a couple of the family well, and um, you know there's more stories about the Cresswells. I'll, I'll drop one in in a minute. Um, but the hall itself mm-hmm. is no longer there. I was going to say it's missing. <laughs> no, when it's you look gone. At the site, the tower is here, but not the towers here. Uh, bits of the manor house are here, but the hall. There's only little bits of the the. Uh, what was a very palatial building left mm. because they built it over mine workings and it started to subside to wow. the extent that it was actually you know beyond reasonable cost to uh, repair it so um, at the time they they sold sold the uh, the land off um and you know one of the things we're busy with at the moment is checking um or tracing down some of the the deeds yeah. and things from the land sales, we we managed to obtain copies of the auction catalogue. For instance, we're getting maps of the mm-hmm. um, of some of the land that was disposed of. Um, it was parcelled up into smaller bits, and that's how the this and the rest of the, of the, the larger site ended up with caravan sites, really, because yeah. um, it was on the open market. Um, and you know, the more information on that we get, the better. Mm. Um, unfortunately, at the minute, one of the major questions we get all of the time is when are you going to restore the hall? <laughs> and we have to explain to people we can't restore the hall because it isn't there. Yeah. But what is there is a stable block, right. which looks incredibly sumptuous mm-hmm. for just having had horses in. Now, the interview got a little interrupted here because, well, rightly so, the public began to arrive, and they arrived a little early. I had come early to do the interview with Steve, and... um Well, the public were keen to get in and see the tower, and I can't blame them. So Steve stepped away briefly, just to make sure the team were all ready for their visitors. Before we closed the interview properly, though, Steve came and sat back down, and I asked him just a couple more questions about how people can support the project, and what the future of the project was. We'd love people to volunteer. Volunteers um, in all shapes and sizes, uh, doing anything you want, <laughs> will find somewhere to, 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 to make use. We'd, we'd love to, for instance, make dressy up clothes for kids. We're, I um, saw there are some in the corner there. There are you? indeed, yeah, none of them fit me yet. <laughs> but um, we also have a, a guy coming, Dave, uh, Dave um, who's collecting um, and putting together medieval clothing. Mm-hmm. And he has already has the swords at contemporary things like that because it brings it all to life for people so um, I've got a storyteller who's off at the volunteer we've got gardeners who are coming in helping as well so there's lots and lots of opportunity and and for some people who might not be able to do some of that physically than just even meeting people greeting chatting having a you know it really is a beautiful place to work it's beautiful and everybody that I work with is absolutely fantastic you know they give up their time and and, and, you know I think we we all go with a smile on our faces we've got a a fantastic little publication called Cresswell's Curiosities which um, um, was um, produced by by Barry Mead who's the the mainstay of of this Mm -hmm. And um, we're selling that for a fiver, and all the profits for that, which is five pounds profit, <laughs> uh, goes back to the to the project as well. So we've got a little bit of income. We're also starting to hire the place out, 
Um, yeah. So, for instance, last night, quite an interesting one, we had a, a, um, a paranormal group oh, who right. came and um, spent the night here. Oh, um, brave. I, I've not asked them whether they had any success or whether the white lady are... Well, are... I was going to say, we're sat here talking and hanging on the court rack is uh, various courts, a first aid kit, and a white gown. Yes, <laughs> that, that's our white lady's yeah. gown. Um, yeah, which was um, worn, as worn by one of the cadets last week. He was floating around um, being a white lady. What's the future on when people could visit in the future, do you think? Right, well, we're looking at that as of the end of today. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we'll be open at least once a month, um, you know, again, on a weekend, probably for free. Um, but we also are able to be used for, you know, if people want to book it or something like yeah. that, then we can do guided tours, things like that. I've got a couple of scout groups, for instance, who oh, come to use it. We've got local yeah. schools using the garden and things like that as well. I mean, today we're doing medieval tile making. We've got medieval cookery yeah. going on as part of the open day, you know. You know what, for, for me, coming through the, the gate, um, the change in sound because of the wall yeah. and the trees, and the second you step through the gate, there's a, a really interesting feeling of yeah. change as you step through. No. And I think that... Is, is quite interesting for anybody visiting just to come yeah. and open that gate that like I've seen for 40 odd years just shut sure. to step through that gate and just notice yeah. that the sound changes and then look through the trees up the path towards this imposing tower in front of you yeah it's fantastic it, it really it, is yeah no it's, it's a really good observation and, and, and particularly from the, the village green here because mm-hmm. it, the village green has nothing on it at no. all it's just this wall and then as you say but the other thing is and you, you'd note this as well, you go into the walled garden and suddenly the temperature rises by at least mm-hmm. six or seven degrees. So it could be cold out here and it can be really warm in there. And, you know, you might, uh, it might be pouring with rain even, but you can feel the temperature difference. Yeah. And the, obviously the butterflies, bees and everything love it. Um, but it, that secret garden type yeah. thing, yeah. It, it's very tangible there. Mm-hmm. Just stepping back out into the grounds of the Peel Tower, I'm thinking just how wonderful it was to talk to Steve there and how very kind he was to give up his time, but how in his voice you can hear how utterly excited uh, by that project he is. And, And why shouldn't he be? Because this is an amazing project. And walking up to the tower here... It's an imposing sight, but the grounds themselves are just wonderful. The work that's gone into clearing this and making it a lovely place to visit is is exceptional. It's absolutely wonderful. Now, I am going to pop inside the Peel Tower now because I want to have a chat with some of the wonderful volunteers that Steve's mentioned who are putting on all sorts of interesting things for visitors to see. So I'm going to have a quick chat with Carol and her granddaughter who are helping out today. Hi, I'm uh, Carol and I'm a volunteer. Super. I'm Megan and I'm Carl's granddaughter. Wonderful. And so what I'm, because obviously it's radio so people can't see this, I am standing in front of a tape, I'm in the Peel Tower on the top floor which is amazingly restored and I'm standing in front of all manner of food in front of me. So just tell me what is it you've been doing and what am I looking at? Right, well, um, I've... I, uh, I, did, I did an online course um, about med, uh, well, royal food and feasting, 
uh, where I got a few of the recipes from. And then um, the Beal Tower was given this uh, a book called Medieval Cookbook. So I've, I've got recipes from various places. Um, and uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been experimenting really. Um, and I'm calling this sort of uh, experimental archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> but the best kind, because you can eat it. Well, I mean... this is it. Yes, yes, yeah. So um, Megan and I have been making uh, 14th century cinnamon sweets. Oh, they and, look great. Uh, they're like little chocolate can... balls. and yeah, No, they're yeah. just cinnamon. Uh, it, it's figs, prunes. Hence the colouring. See, I was fooled. For my... And then um, <laughs> ginger and uh, cinnamon ah. uh, and a little bit of honey which i didn't bring with me today brilliant so uh, and then also we've been making um these which have got aniseed in them jum jumble jumbles or jumbles oh. and then um this is gingerbread which is made basically with breadcrumbs um and again ginger and cinnamon wasn't it and uh, and then red wine. Well, I mean, you're selling them very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fantastic. And they're just, they're really small, but lovely looking little biscuits there. Yes, they look great. Yeah. yeah. Um, here we are. Let's see what's uh, going out there. Uh, and then uh, this is a cabbage chowder or potage, the sort of soup that perhaps the, not the, the not so well off people would have had, but it's still got spices and and uh, good for things. you yeah, yeah 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 and then this one here is um a sort of more rich rich person's uh, potage it's uh, it's got chicken in it um. and also flavored with saffron oh wow um and saffron even today it's not the cheapest thing is yeah not, is not cheap not and then they would probably have had one of these biscuits with it um or, or uh, they're called girdle breads, which again are uh, the, the yellow colour is the, the saffron. That's brilliant. Yeah. They look fantastic. Yeah. Well, that was an absolutely wonderful episode to record. I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with Steve and then talking to some of the team. It was just lovely and I want to thank them all for giving up a bit of time to talk to me and tell me about the project. I hope you found that as interesting as I did, I'm sure you have, and I really hope anyone listening who's interested, which should be all of you by the way, <laughs> I hope you take any opportunity that comes your way to get down to the Cresswell Peel Tower and see what they're doing down there. It's absolutely wonderful. It's a great community project that is worth supporting, if you ask me. And they've added themselves to our Voices from the Northeast. It's absolutely great. I'm going to close there. Please keep listening at the end for a short message from me on how you can get in touch with the show and share your voice. Thanks again. Stay safe and well. And please carry on sharing the show with your friends and family. Take care, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Voices from the Northeast podcast. I'd love to hear from you. So I'm going to share with you the different ways you can get in touch with the program. You can drop me an email 
you could do that via podcastnortheast at gmail.com. I'll read that again. The email address is podcastnortheast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you via email. If you're into your social media, we've got an Instagram account and a Facebook page now, so you could get in touch by simply searching Voices from the Northeast podcast on Instagram or Facebook, and you will easily recognise our logo and find us there. And it would be lovely for you to leave a comment on one of those platforms. You can also leave me a voicemail message, and that would be fantastic to hear your actual voice and maybe include that in a show. You can leave me a one-minute message, either sharing a very short story um, or sharing your thoughts on a particular episode we've aired. You can do that by visiting our website. Now, the address is anchor.fm forward slash voices from the northeast. Then all you need to do is press the message button and leave me a voicemail message. You might find it easier to simply Google search Voices from the Northeast podcast, and I'm sure that'll pull you through to us anyway. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon. Bye-bye.